I have been in the book of Ephesians. We've taken a five-Sunday break from it. So guess what? Let's pick up where we left off. Chapter 5, verses 15 to 17. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Father, we love you, and we come this morning to hear from you, to draw back, to drink deep on uh, this letter to this church in Ephesus. And Father, how the power of your spirit, the authority of your word, the fellowship of your saints is the unity that turns the world upside down. So Lord, as you begin strengthening us again for the task that is at hand, Lord, may we look at this and be overwhelmed with the privilege of being called children of the Most High God, being overwhelmed with the pleasure of being in the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, for the pleasure of loving one another, praying with one another, walking with one another, and even laughing with one another. Thank you, Father. Teach us now. Teach us now. In Christ's name, amen. Well, we're back, eh? We are in the letter to the church in Ephesus, and the the notoriety of this thing, the classic theme of this thing, is the body of Christ. I mean, if you ask Christians, you know, what would help you with church, they'll give you, they call them the pastoral epistles, which they're not. First, second Timothy, Titus. Okay, those are not pastoral epistles. Those are epistles. <laughs> okay. If you want to look at what is the church, I think that the book of Ephesians is probably the best. And if you look at the book of Ephesians, you will find out what is the fire in your pastor's heart. Because the book of Ephesians is laid out like a lot of Paul's letters. He throws out some, let me rattle your brain theology. Then he prays that you can understand it. And then he prays that you engage in it and use it. And that it becomes the power of your life. Okay? Now, if you read this letter, this is a pretty cool church. I mean, I, you just, if you just take this letter and just read it, all six chapters, you're like, oh man, <laughs> that's awesome. Okay, but let me share with you something. Here's one of the things that I have watched happen in my life of walking with the king. In Revelation chapter 2, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, write, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands says this, I know your deeds and your toil and your perseverance and that you cannot tolerate evil men. And you put to the test those who call themselves apostles and they are not. And you found them to be false and you have perseverance and have endurance for my name's sake and have not grown weary. 
But I have this against you. You have left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deed you did at first or else I am coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Solid church. They test people who claim whatever. Their theology is serious. I mean, read Ephesians' first three chapters. That's, that's rock and roll theology there, buddy. I mean, that's, you, can, you can build and stand, and you can take everything that the world throws at you and says, He knows my name. He knows my name. He's blessed me with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. And you cannot touch any of them. Okay? But yet, in time, by 90 AD, the church had become mechanical. Just, okay, I go do this, I go do that. You know, and you had some leadership there that would, you know, test people, question their theology, study with each other. And yet, this was a blessed church. You know, we go through the seven churches of Asia Minor, which is the first, that section of Revelations. And we all, you know, we, you get Laodicea as the last one. You're neither hot nor cold. You know, you just make me want to puke. Okay. And, you know, we think, well, I don't want to be like that. You know what? Be careful. You don't want to be like Ephesus. You don't want to be like Ephesus. You know, I, uh, in 30 some odd years, uh, have had to deal with some bizarre stuff. And I can always look back at it and say, you know what? Lo, he was with me always, even to the end of the age. Remember the city of Corinth when we studied the two letters to the Corinthians? What a mess. And you know what's weird about it? It was a church. It was a church. I mean, you can, if you, you think, well, look, Laodicea is a horrible place. Hey, it's a church. Look at some of the others. I mean, listen, I'll give you a warning. Listen here, just, just off the top of my head. Don't let anybody teach in your church named Jezebel. Just, just give you a heads up on that one. All right. But yet, one of the things that I see and I hear on a regular basis is church unity. If all the community of the churches can unify, okay, then we can put up this, look, we're all one, and the community will stand in awe. I've been in town too long because there's some I can't stand with. And it's not that I'm such a wonderful, bubbly, effervescent person. It's just that they they are teaching another gospel. I read a little book while I was traveling called She's Married to the World. And that's speaking of the church. It's not a new phenomenon. 
And, and I look, and when I see the church, she is married to the world. And the things that I hear called unity are based on compromise. And I don't know how you get unity in the spirit of the living God by the authority of Scripture and compromise. I mean, if you want to compromise on the second coming of Christ, fine. If you want to stay here and go through that, knock yourself out. Okay? I'm out of here. Well, how do you know that? Because I shall never stop preaching. And they will kill you if you do. So I will have a short-term ministry. But I do not believe that I'm going to go through that. I do not believe the church is going to go through it. Okay? When the church is unified in the power that Christ provides, the church is a bunch of givers to individuals. Is that what you see in the churches today? Are they givers or are they takers? We've been studying this letter. And it's got some of the best stuff that I've ever... Well, I say that about every letter I teach, don't I? <laughs> Sorry. We remember chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. Paul's prayer. It's an awesome prayer. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge and that you would be filled with all the fullness of God now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond what we ask or think according to the power that works in him. To him be the glory in the church in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. When I read that and I come out of those three chapters of theology, he gives me that. And it's sort of like, uh, start your engines. Be strengthened in the inner man. Because it's going to take the Holy Spirit inside of you for you to start getting a grasp on the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And once you start playing in that, then you will understand the fullness of God that is in you. And you will do exceedingly abundantly beyond you could ever ask or think. Gosh, I like that. Start your engine at the end of chapter 3 and you do the launch in chapter 4. I'm moving. I got the engine running. God's working mightily in my life. And it's easy to steer a moving car than it is one that is parked. So you get on down the road. When you move, you start. And then in chapter 4, verse 1, you will walk worthy. And that's what we've been looking at. 
When I go back, I think about Romans chapter 12. If you look at the book of Romans, it gives you the doctrine of sin, the doctrine of justification, the doctrine of sanctification. And then chapter 12, he begins with, okay, now that you've got this all hammered out, this is what you should be looking like. So in chapter 12, verse 16, he says this, Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimations. Interesting concept, don't you think? Why? Because in chapter 4, verses 1 to 3, our walk of worthiness is a walk of humility. Humility. Lowliness. Lowliness. Chapter 4, verses 4 to 16, it's a walk of unity. It isn't because we just compromise everything so we can all get along. It is because, you know what? We're all looking at the same God the same way that the same Scripture teaches us and strengthens us. And because we're humble, then we are teachable. I met with some pastors before I left on some situations going on in our community. And I, I listened to them, and they're blessed guys, you know, wonderful guys. And when they left, I just told them that what they were going to try to do, I probably shouldn't be involved in. And they're like, well, why? And I said, you really want me to answer that? Yeah, tell me why. I said, you guys are haughty. Yeah, well, you're probably right. We can't work together. See, I smiled. Okay, but you see what I'm trying to get at? It's a humble walk as a Christian. You didn't bring anything to the table. You've got nothing to offer. You are a slave. You've been bought and paid for. You're not your own. You ain't got nothing. So anything that happens out of you is to God's glory. Every pastor in this town, or at least the ones that I know of, have written a book. I was like, wow, man. (laughs) I'm impressed. I've had my wife and my secretary try to understand my notes. I'm not going to write a book. (laughs) She says, this cannot be interpreted. If I do it, it would be like a coloring book. I can write me a coloring book. Because out of that humility comes oneness. Why? Because when we start saying it isn't about me, then it is about us. You know, it's it's weird because people talk about spiritual gifts and, and there's a lot of perversion of that going on right now. Well, it has been for ages. But your gift is for me. My gift is for you. And there's too much of this. My gift is for me and I'm not sharing. Verses 17 to 32. We are to walk different than the world. What is important in your life? Don't walk as the Gentiles. I remember I told you the story about Dr. MacArthur. He had a friend who was a billionaire kind of guy. They played golf together. And the guy asked him one time playing golf. He says, do you pray for my salvation? He said, well, yeah. 
And he said, well, John, I appreciate it, but I don't want to be saved. He says, I've got my own private jet. I've got limousines. I can go and come and do anything I want, wherever I want, anytime, anywhere. And I don't want to give that up. And John laughed. He says, you don't give it up. He said, what? He said, no, you don't give it up. The price tags just change. What you used to think was valuable isn't valuable anymore. Okay? That's different than the world. We are holy people called by God's name. So we are different than the world. Chapter 5, verses 1 to 7, our walk is a walk of love. And he gives you an illustration. Walk as Christ walks. That's a walk of love. I mean, think about that for a second. I am to love as Christ loves. Well, you just, uh, listen, Romans 5, 5. The love of God has been poured into your heart. See what I mean? It's easy for us to get wrapped up in, I need to do this, or I should be doing that, or I should try to be this, and I need to do... No, man. See who you are in Christ first. And then you just smile as you go along. If you've got the theology first, and I listen to people, you, you, you start talking, this second group that I preached at when I was in Ohio, I may have started mentioning doctrine and theology, and their eyes just glazed over. Well, isn't that for seminary? Well, actually, no, it's for the church. Do you know all the greatest heresies ever came out of seminary? Just be careful. But we walk in love. 8 to 14. We walk in light. This is the one that I've had a lot of feedback, or some feedback, I should say. You were darkness. Please note that. You were not in darkness. You were a contributor of darkness. Okay, but now you are light. So act like it. Make everybody squint. Right? People should have to wear their Ray-Bans when they're around you. And then what we're dealing with 15 to 17 is it's a walk of wisdom. Walk of wisdom. I mean, if I wanted to summarize what we've been through just in that little part, you start your engine at the end of chapter 3, and then 4 and end of 5. Okay, it, it, it is showing you that the Christian's life is different. And I'm, not, I'm talking radically different. I grew up radical. I mean, that's the path I chose. But I have never been as radical as I have been as a child of God. Because it is completely out of this world. I was one of those defiant people. I mean, rules were to be broken. And now the king has got a hold of me. Saved people are different than the world. Okay, now think about what I just listed here. World, lost people, even them nice ones. You know, them nice ones that are darkness. Those nice ones. How humble is the world? How unified is the world? There you go. 
How loving is the world? How dark is the world? And you know what? That darkness, they can't know light. How wise is the world? See, God's wisdom is hidden from natural man. He can't grab it. Paul said that they are ever learning, but never able to come to the knowledge of truth. Lost people can do nice things. Absolutely. I agree with that emphatically. But let me tell you something. When they do, it's for them. You know, man knows a lot. I was reading the other day, some of you are too young, but some of you are not. The Apollo mission to put man on the moon. Don't look at me like that. (laughs) I recorded it anyway on cassette (laughs) off a black and white TV. But anyway, the computer system in the Apollo mission, okay, that ran Apollo doesn't compare to the computer that's in your phone. Or your car. Man knows a lot. Uh, my great-grandfather lived to be 103. And at his 100th birthday, I went back for it. And I uh, was sitting there talking. I said, John Henry, uh, you're 100 years old. What do you see? And he said, well, he says, I look at it this way. He says, I got a ticket in Miamisburg. It's a little town outside. He said, I got a ticket in Miamisburg for rearing a horse. And he says, that for you, that's like a wheelie. And he says, and I seen man walk on the moon. Just in that hundred years. Look at what we've got. When was the last time you saw a payphone? I used to do service work as an electrician, and you always started the day with your pager and a pocket full of quarters. Because people would be calling you in and saying, you got to go look at this, you got to go look at this, and all the rest. And the GPS was that thing called Rand McNally. And that's all changed now. I, actually, I just I learned to do that. I just now learned how to do that, to t- talk to my phone and say, hey, <laughs> I'm, try- I'm trying to get somewhere. Can you help me? <laughs> and that's just, it still creeps me out. What you want to do is turn around and go back. What? (laughs) Okay, but I I just learned that. But I don't like it because it makes fun of the way I talk. So man has knowledge. There's no doubt in my mind that man has knowledge. It's amazing. And if you look at it, it's growing exponentially. I mean, triple helix DNA strand, white energy. Just, gee, who sits around and thinks up this stuff? But you know what? Man doesn't know God's wisdom. The wisdom of God cannot be grasped. We were talking about that in Sunday school this morning. He flung the stars into heaven. You're like, wow, that's cool. And then he named them. That's David 1. That's David 11,426. That's George I, I don't have that many names. And he named them. And yet, as a Christian... As a Christian, 
we can be humble. As a Christian, we can be unified. As a Christian, we are different. We can be different than this world. As a Christian, we are love. As a Christian, we are light. As a Christian, we have God's wisdom. See, that's what Paul's point is. You know, this is the thing that gets me into trouble. I get little little problems in my <laughs> ministry. When I first became a pastor, the big combat was spiritual gifts. Okay, and it's, you know, people would say, well, you, do you believe in spiritual gifts? I said, absolutely. You think I'd try to do this without a gift? <laughs> I don't even like people. Okay, I mean, come on, man. All right, but that was the big thing. But that, that's kind of gone away now. You know what? It gets me into trouble now. Are you saved? What? Are you saved? Now, I don't know about you. If someone had a question about that, I would probably want to know, why do you feel that way? But normally, I'd say, I don't think you're saved. The normal response is, I think they want to send me to hell or something quickly. And what I'm seeing in this is that if you're saved, it is extremely obvious. Because (laughs) you're peculiar. You're different. And uh, listen, if you struggle with whether you are saved or not, I'll give you one verse. One verse. Chapter 2 of the book of Galatians, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Do you have a crucified life? You know what a crucified life means? (laughs) It ain't you. Crucifixion is death. I have died. Remember John the Baptist? I must decrease. He must increase. When Paul left Jerusalem with letters to arrest Christians in Damascus, when he came back, do you think anybody questioned whether he was saved or not? No, he freaked everybody out. What's the matter with you? Right? When the Holy Spirit come upon those cowards in the upper room, Peter walks straight out into the group of people who murdered his Lord and says, you men of Israel who murdered the Son of God. Now that's going to make friends. Now why did he deny him three times and then all of a sudden he can walk right into the middle of the hornet's nest and say, nope. We are called to be different. We're called to be peculiar. You know what that means? Salvation is seen. You visibly can see its effect. 
Yet the church has been crushed by the world. To use Paul's vernacular in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, the church has been pressed. Do not be conformed into the world. Don't be pressed into the world. Don't start looking like the world. Listen, I know a lot of Christians today that it's hard for me to see them as distinct from the world. Okay? Now, a lot of cases, it is just either non-existent or very poor theology. You will live your life based on the size of your God. Okay? Let me ask you a question. Anybody here got the spiritual gift of worry? If you worry, how big is your God? See what I mean? See how we get pressed into it? And think about the things we worry about. I mean, how much wasted energy is some of the things we worry about? Because do you understand that the God of creation holds you in his hand? Do you realize that a sparrow does not fall, nor will you live one day past what he wants you? Do you know he's got the numbers of the hairs of your head numbered? And in Nate's case, not as many. You don't have to count that far. Do you see what I mean? And yet, we'll sit there, oh yeah. Okay? And, and we'll run up to our buddy or brother or sister or whatever, it's going through the ringer, and we'll say, I'm convinced that the suffering of this age cannot compare to the glory to come. Suck it up. Okay? Until you're the one suffering. And then somebody comes and says that, and you're like, Lord, forgive me for what I'm about to do. How big is your God? How big is your God? The church has fallen prey to the whole defiled system of the world. The church is actually asking lost people what they want from church. That's astonishing to me. This letter to the Ephesians is a rebuke to the church that has married the world. We possess an inward purity that should produce outward holiness. It should be seen. Paul is telling us that we should be different. We are no longer fools. We are wise. The wisdom of Proverbs We have a life that is on a divine standard of wisdom. And you know what? (laughs) The fools hate that. Trust me. Trust me. The fools despise God's wisdom. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 20. Wisdom shouts in the streets. She lifts her voice in the square. God is calling. He's calling them, all of us. He's calling humanity. Verse 24. 
Because I called and you refused. I stretched out my hand and no one paid attention. And you neglected all my counsel and did not want my reproof. You rejected it. You rejected it. And so you know what God's response is? I will also laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your dread comes. When your dread comes like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind. When distress and anguish come upon you. That's encouraging, huh? Why would I reject that wisdom? Chapter 10 of Proverbs. Verse 21. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of understanding. They don't have the wisdom. Ecclesiastes. You ever notice the Song of Solomon and then Ecclesiastes? Song of Solomon he wrote when he was young. Ecclesiastes he wrote after he had spent some time. Compare the two. Just check it out. You'll see what I mean. Whatever. Chapter 9, verse 1. For I have taken all this to my heart and explained it that righteous men, wise men, and their deeds are in the hand of God. Man does not know whether it will be love or hated. Anything awaits him. So let me give you one more. See, when you leave me alone, I wander around all the time. Second Timothy. Second Timothy is the last letter the Apostle Paul wrote to a young man who was going to pick up where he left off. In uh, chapter 3, verse 15. And that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith with the Zen Christ Jesus. Make you wise unto salvation. So, do you understand that wisdom isn't found in the knowledge of scriptural truth? Biblical truth. When you and I became a Christian, we became wise. We stepped out of dark and became wise. We stopped being fools. We became one of God's wise children. Okay? Now then, wisdom is not just knowledge. Okay? I know some people who are biblically extremely knowledgeable, but they're not saved. That's, it's never moved to wisdom, to an action. Okay? The word in the original language is sophi. And it was spoken of, used in the Greek writings and, and, and Greek culture to speak of spinning theories. Spinning theories. You see it a lot. Okay? It, it's alive and well and thriving in, in our lives right now, our society. 
But if you're really honest about it, it has no relationship to life. All right? You know, they, they told me we were going into global warming, but I was still waiting on the ice age. They told me about 72. And I'm, I, you know, I still got all my wool stuff for that. But then they give you this, it's going to be 200 years out. And I worry about that. Why? There's no practical implication into some of the stuff that is just thrown out there. This is what I call the intellectuals, the philosophers. I told you I took philosophy when I got out of high school. I went to college for about half an hour. And I took philosophy. You know why I took philosophy? You can't be wrong. Okay? I mean, I got straight A's in philosophy. (laughs) I thought, well, this is cool. You know, well, that's your philosophy. This is my philosophy. Well, there you go. I feel good. That is the Greek mindset. Now then, the Hebrew mindset. The Apostle Paul is Hebrew. The Hebrews never conceived of wisdom as a theory. Okay? The Hebrew mindset was only conscious of wisdom as a behavior. Okay? Have you ever heard, uh, my grandma used to say this occasionally, you're acting foolish. Your behavior is right up there with moronic. Okay? You see what I mean? When we become a Christian, it is not just a change in our theory. It is a change in what we know. But it also changes what we live. Okay, uh, I'm dealing with a situation where uh, drug and alcohol abuse. And I'm trying... The individuals are remorseful. Okay? And they understand head knowledge on this. But they've never put it to act as wisdom. All right? Because wisdom says, if I keep doing this, it is a slow motion suicide. And they know that. They've, they've had blood tests. They've, they've done all of these things and said, yes, this is what's happening. But they don't change. Okay? That's what dark does. I have the information, but it has no effect on me. No effect whatsoever. You contrast that to a child of God. In the beginning, we did not know God. In the beginning, we denied God. In the beginning, each and every one of us put ourselves up as God. We mocked sin. Each of us individually, we mocked sin. We spewed our own opinions based on our knowledge. And we corrupted our society. Right? But when I became a Christian, immediately you know God. And when you immediately know God, the first thing you do is get your butt off the throne. 
And then you worship him only. You know, I, I express to these people, these drugs, these alcohol, all of this stuff is your master. There's your master. And humans don't like to hear that. I'm, I'm my own man. You and Jack Daniels. Okay? They don't want to hear that. And then, then you really want to, <laughs> you really want to get them. He says, I believe that's idolatry. What? You don't understand. Well, it's idolatry. Why? Because you put in something more important than God. That's why I have a very small counseling business. We worship Him only. Okay? And instead of mocking sin, we confess it to the Lord. Yes, Father, that is sin. And instead of spewing our own opinions, we speak the Word of God, the oracles of God, the sacred writings of God. It's not our opinion. We get into our community and we instruct by the Word and deeds of God. We live and speak divine truth. Now listen, I don't care what anybody thinks, that is a huge difference. That is radical in our world today. I'll meet with pastors occasionally and they'll say something very profound. I'll just sit there with that goofy look on my face that is always there all the time. And they say, well, what do you think? This is good. I was like, where is that in the Bible? And they know what I mean. They know what I mean. We are to live a wise life. And Paul is telling us that. We used to be fools. Anybody ever tell you that? Boy, you used to be a fool. I used to pride myself on it. I wanted to excel. But you were made wise in Christ. Then remember what he said? Then for Christ's sake, walk in wisdom. That's the message of Ephesians. You ain't going to believe that this is just an introduction. (laughs) No, I'm not going to go on. If this is who we are, then this is how we are to live. And it should be seen. It is so strange out there that I was just went through 13 states. I think 13 states. I don't See that math thing again. And I talked to a whole bunch of people at different places, restaurants, grocery stores, this, that, and the other. I talked to a whole bunch of people. And they said, well, what is it you do? And I tell them. And they shift into spiritual. Ah, yeah, I love Jesus. Really? Really? Are you sure? Well, you don't know. Are you sure? And then I just leave them. Salvation is seen. If you look at your outline, we'll close. Salvation, the wisdom of God, gives you life principles, will give you limits in your life, and it will give you the Lord's purposes. Listen, brothers and sisters, if you are only spending time in the Bible on Sunday morning, 
I know what you look like. And you can tell me all day long, well, you don't understand. I don't have time. Well, I'm glad he took time to leave heaven to come down here and get my butt. And if he had time to do that, I've got time to be in the Word so I know what the principles of my life are. I know what the limits of my life are. And I know what God's purposes for my life are. That's what it means to walk in wisdom. And we'll jump eyeball deep in this next week. Father, I thank you for your holy word. Father, I thank you for your spirit that changes us, that grows us, that overwhelms us. Lord, I pray, I beseech you, I beg you to stir in your people's heart the fire for your word, a hunger and thirst that cannot be quenched. That, Father, we may peer into the mind of a most holy God. And, Father, we would understand if such a dime as this, you have placed each and every one of us for a task that you have preordained. Oh, Lord, let us fall more and more in love with you with every breath you grace us till that day our faith becomes sight. Father, we may love as you love. Let us walk as you walk. To my King, my Lord, in Christ, in Christ's name. Amen.